0: Well, I want to share a message with you, uh, and and we have not done this in a while. But due to um, some of it was really due to to just uh, scheduling and and the month of of August and, and everything that's going on, um, I, I I decided to go off script a little bit, and and I moved my what what I planned on being my August series to September, and that gave me an opportunity to share something with you that just has been on my heart and my mind um, the past uh, several, I won't even say weeks, but, but maybe even months. And um, uh, if, I, if I look a little peaked this morning, I apologize. Um, I tried to get as much sleep as I could. Um, my family, we've had some really uh, hectic things, but good good things, um, we we had a wedding last weekend. My niece Morgan and now her husband Corey. We were uh, there to celebrate them. There may or may not be um, video on social media that shows someone that looks a lot like me that might be dancing. Uh, that is probably fraudulent because I know there's at least two other people in that video that look like me. So you know I I'm not sure. Um, uh, our daughter Becca uh, had surgery on Tuesday. A sh- so shoulder surgery, we cover your prayers for that. And then we had a funeral uh, yesterday in Minneapolis. My, uh, my brother-in-law, uh, a friend of about 35 years, um, ever since we were in college together um, at North Central, uh, we married identical twin sisters. So uh, Valerie Sue and Veronica Sue married Kevin Roy and Kevin Ray. And... Uh, and... Uh, we grieve uh, for uh, those that are family. We're of course also family, but uh, Kevin suffered a heart attack about uh, two weeks ago, and um, and so we had his celebration service yesterday. It was a wonderful uh, family event, and there were about I'd say four or five hundred people that were there, and and Kevin touched a lot of lives, and. Um, you know as as family you you process those things and i'm just going to use that sort of as, uh, as my jumping on point okay for this morning um and i don't think that she would mind me sharing it although i did not ask her explicitly if i could but um but in the conversations that my wife and i had following um the news of kevin's death um it hit her particularly hard um, because, A, it was her twin sister that lost her husband, and, B, um, without a miracle, it would have been both of them having lost their husbands in six months. I mean, a, a miracle. Um, and and you you got to forgive me. You know, people are coming up to me and saying things about... Um, stupid looking billboards around town, and, and I apologize uh, for that. Uh, the one thing I don't apologize is that I want to do anything that, that declares God's miracle in my life, and then I want to do anything I can to help my community relate to its hospital in the best way possible. Those are my two, my two goals. And, um, but without that miracle, and, and it is a miracle, and I tell that story. I got to tell that story uh, this weekend because, and, well, and last weekend because of being with family members that, that don't know the Lord, that don't serve the Lord, um, and, and being able to tell them my, the story of my miracle. And without that miracle, I, I would not have lived. And so the natural question that comes out of that is God, why? Why, why did I live? And Kevin didn't live. Do you see what I'm saying? Why, and, and my wife, you know, making it very personal for her, why did my husband live and my sister's husband did not live? Uh, the funeral, you know, there, there were hundreds of people. It, it was a two-hour funeral, okay? If I die and you do a two-hour funeral for me, I'm going to come back and make some trouble for somebody, okay? <laughs> do not do a two-hour funeral for me. But it was spectacular, uh they the the people that the, and they must have had seven or eight people um, talk. I, I mean, and they the, I mean they just they he loved God, he loved his family, he loved people. That was the theme over and over and over again. He lived a right life and he impacted a lot of people. It was an awesome funeral. Why God at the top of someone's, Uh, influence in their lives why why would you why would you take one and leave the other why why would you why would you why wouldn't you intervene in the same way God had to intervene in order for me to survive I've I've told you the story but all day that day I said I got to get to that I got to get to superior fitness all day I got to get there I, I I was feeling good. Brian had rehabbed my, my knee and my foot, and I, I felt good. And so I, it was time to start working out again all day long. Why why would God go through all of that to put Avery in that place to make sure that the AED was ready and working? Why would God do all of those things for one and not for the other? That is a it's a natural normal question and 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 you that's not your story, that's my story, but you have a story. Okay? I've, having pastored this church for 16 years, I I know many of your stories and, and you have maybe in your life dealt with that same question of God, why? Now, maybe I don't know your story, but maybe you're still asking yourself that question, God, why is this happening in my life or why isn't that happening in my life? But the question is why? And this morning, What I would like to do is share with you for a few minutes some things that I think are going to help us process the why in our lives. The first thing I want to share with you is that, and and this is something that every one of us can do, and it's determine to stand on the truth. When you are asking God why, there's going to be a lot of voices. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to tell you their opinion and what they think, and they're not going to be right, but they're going to tell you anyway. Okay, and they want to get it off their chest so they can feel like they've done their job. When you are in that deepest valley, when you are crying out to God, and you are saying, God, why is this happening? Or why aren't you responding to my prayer the way I think you should, and in the timing I think you should do it in, why is that happening? You are going to have to make a decision to stand on the truth of God's word. John seventeen seventeen, Jesus said, your word is truth. That is the, the reality. We've got to stand on God's word. So number one, here's the truth number one that you need to stand on. It's who God really is. Now, this may be really difficult for you in a time when you are in, you are, you are questioning God about why to really stand on the truth of who God actually is. Because when you're asking why, you're not, you're not feeling like you're connected to Him. You might even feel alienated or separated from Him because of what's happening or not happening in your life but you've got to stand on the truth of who he really is. You say, why would a loving God allow this to happen in my life? Why would a loving God not prevent this from happening? I want you to know that there's two ways that we can learn about God. One is just through his word and the other one is through the experiences that we have with him, but I have to tell you that the experience always has to line up with the word, okay? If the experience that you say you have had with God does not line up with his word, I have news for you, it's not of God, okay? Let's just be honest, It's got to be in the Word. But those are the two ways. Through our experiences and the Word, and the Word confirming our experiences, we understand the character of God. God, through His Word, reveals Himself to you and I. Moses asked God if he could see God's glory, and God answered Moses in Exodus 34, 6, and here's what God said to Moses about himself, okay? He's talking about himself, and he says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. God is describing himself. He's giving Moses his attributes. He is calling himself gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. We can see all through scripture examples of God's character being proclaimed in God's word. But even though we see those, we're finite beings and we can't know God as we might know another person individually in our humanity, at some point there's got to be a step of faith. We've got to say, I believe. We sang that just a few minutes ago. God, I believe. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in your Holy Spirit. That is a declaration of faith because tangibly you cannot prove the existence of God. Experientially we can prove it, but we cannot prove it tangibly. Although even the very trees declare his existence, even very creation would do so. Believing that God is who he says he is, is going to affect how you view everything that happens to you. Truth number two, we've been given a choice. In Genesis chapter two, God said that man was free to eat of everything in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or you will die. God was not trying to trick Adam and Eve. God was very clear on his instruction. He didn't want them to fail. He wasn't setting them up to fail, although he knew that they would disobey him. This gracious and compassionate God gave creation the freedom to choose, and I want you to understand that that freedom to choose is still available for you and I today. We have the freedom to accept or reject Jesus Christ. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and I will have fellowship with him and he with me. We still have the choice. Do we put our our hand on that doorknob and do we turn the knob and open it up and say, okay, Jesus, come in. We have that choice. And the choices that mankind makes, it influences us as a whole and it influences us individually and very specifically but we have been given a choice. Truth number three, we live in a fallen and sinful world. I, I, I don't think we have to look very far um, if you watch the news this week, um, a, 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 a guy in New Mexico had, was it, 11 kids um, and training them to be uh, jihadi uh, suicide bombers in, in New Mexico. You don't have to look very far to find evil in the world. You don't, you don't have to. We live in a fallen world. We live under literally a curse of sin. But how did it get this way? Was it progressive? Was it just gradual? You know, boy, times are getting worse and worse. There's some truth to that, but, but I, I believe what the Bible tells us is that it wasn't progressive. It literally happened at one time. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So because Adam chose to disobey God, the earth fell under a curse, and we still live under that curse today. And my sin and your sin reveals that you and I have been born in that same sinful nature, and that sinful nature produces physical and spiritual death apart from God. The world that we live in is sinful, it's fallen, and that extends to everyone on earth, including us. And if you see yourself today as being above sin, if you see yourselves as, hey, I don't sin, I don't have anything to worry about, then I want you to understand today that seeing yourself that way would cause you to believe, I don't deserve this. But in a lost and fallen world where we have been born with a sinful nature and we have sinned against God, we understand the extent of sin and death. It reaches to every single one of us. Truth number four, God desires to restore every person to himself. Can you imagine? God wants to actually restore every single person to himself. Everyone, we were driving through the Twin Cities yesterday, and, and you know I, it just blows me away the people, you know, I, and and the restaurants. And and a couple hours later, you know, we're we're in a you know driving on on the highway through a farm field, and I'm like, do you guys realize we just went from a place where there's every restaurant known to man to a place where there are none? You go from millions. To a couple farmers. You know, it, it doesn't take very long. But I want you to, when you're in that place where you see, you see thousands and millions of people, and you think, every one of these people that I'm that I'm encountering, God wants to restore them. God wants to restore them. God wants to restore that one. God wants to re- everyone that you encounter, God wants to restore them to Himself. In 2 Peter, Chapter 3 and verse 9, I've read this verse to you so many times. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Even the worst person that you know, God wants to restore that person to himself. The worst people, sometimes I think we are like, I don't know. Lord, do you know how bad they really are? Maybe you were that person. God wants to restore every single person. Everyone that we encounter, His desire. That's why He's not bringing judgment on them right now. He's patient with them. He's trying to draw them to Himself so that every single one might come to know Him in the midst of of our suffering and asking why, it might be easy to think that God just doesn't care. It might be easy to think that he's not even aware of what's happening to us because if he was, he'd alleviate my suffering. But what if our comfort is not his greatest goal? I'll be honest, I didn't expect any amens on that part. What if our comfort is not God's greatest goal? And when we pray, what are we praying for? We're praying for our situation to be resolved so that it's better for us. Right? We we pray that, we desire that, but that's not God's desire. His desire is that everyone would be restored to himself. That's his number one goal. And so as he hears our prayers, he hears them in light of his goal of restoring every person to himself. And if we view what happens to us through a lens that that is different than God's desire to restore everyone, then we're going to see this in a skewed way. We're not going to understand it. Truth number five, he was willing to give up everything. We, We say, you know, we want something very badly. We say, oh, I want that bad, you know. I want that new boat. I want that new camper. I want that new ATV. How bad do you really want it? That's the question. Because if we want something bad enough, we're generally willing to put ourselves through an awful lot in order to get it. God knew that blood needed to be shed in order to provide forgiveness. We celebrated the Lord's Supper just a moment ago. A perfect life was needed Romans chapter 8, verse 32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He didn't say that he just loved us. He actually showed his love for us by giving his very best. This was God's idea. This was his alone, and this was his idea for the beginning. From the beginning, he knew that he had to give up everything. He had to give up his own son in order to make it happen, and his desire for restoring us is so strong that he was willing to give up everything. In order to get it done, he would give up his only begotten son. Now, the difference between me and God and you and God is that we might say, man, I want everybody to be restored to Jesus. But I'm not willing to give everything to do it. He was. He was willing to give everything. And if you and I are confident that God was willing to give up everything, how could we not be confident that he is acting to to give us everything, even in the midst of what we're going through, when we're saying, why God? Why God? Why God? Why aren't you doing this? Why are you doing this? Are are we really questioning whether or not God is willing to give up everything for us? We just don't see the whole picture. My brother-in-law, is he's with Jesus right now. And the difference between what he knows now and what he knew two weeks ago is immense. If you knew my brother-in-law, he was an opinionated guy. He would tell you what he thought. He did not hold back. And I'm sure there are a few things that Jesus set him straight on. We don't see the whole picture, guys. Paul said we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. We don't see it all but he was willing to give up everything. He is withholding nothing from us. He has given his best. Number six, the truth is that sin and death have been defeated. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Jesus demonstrated his power over death when he raised Lazarus. God demonstrated his power over death when he raised Jesus on the third day. Jesus promised that you and I, when we accept the free gift of salvation, that we would be resurrected. I want you to understand this. Sin and death have been defeated. We have been received the promise of resurrection. That is the ultimate goal in our lives. Not how much fun we can have. Not even how long we live. Not in how big our family is. But ultimately that we will ourselves be resurrected. And that plan of God was put in place before the foundation or creation of the world, Revelation says. God's plan is in place. God knew that man would sin, God knew that man would be need to be restored and he gave man that choice anyway. He gave up everything to defeat sin and death because that's the nature of who God is and if we believe that resurrection is the ultimate victory, it will affect everything that happens to us and how we view it and when we ask God why, we will ask him but we will say the ultimate victory is resurrection. No matter what happens to us, no matter how bad it is, no matter how alone we may feel, we will say, I have the promise of resurrection. And when I die, I will go to be with Jesus for eternity. That's the promise that we have. So we're going to stand, choose to stand on his word, the truth of his word. But we're also going to choose to accept things that we cannot prove. Hebrews talks about faith being the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. I want to give you some assurances here. Assurance number one, God knows best. Isaiah says this in nine. he said, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. It might be really difficult to uh, to think about this or to accept this—that God's ways are higher than our ways; that He ultimately knows what is best. Sometimes we think we know it all. The reality is that we do not. We ask why, because we want to know the reason something is happening. But I want you to know that God never changes. He never deviates from his plan and his purposes, and his ways are higher than ours. Our perspective is limited, his is not. He sees the whole picture all at once and knows the outcome. And having confidence that God knows what is best is a game changer in our lives when we're asking God why. If we're questioning him, and we don't believe that he knows what's best, we are going to be miserable. But when we know that he knows what's best for us, there'll be a peace that comes. Assurance number two, none of us are innocent. You see, it's really a faulty question to ask God why he allows innocent people to suffer. You see, we're all guilty before a holy God. None of us are innocent. Everyone has broken God's laws and when we accept man's culpability it impacts our perspective of everything. Do you know that in God's righteous judgment he could judge us all right now? He could do that but in his mercy he has decided not to so that we might come to know him. We've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God Rather than wanting to judge us, he's provided a sacrifice to forgive our sins. He has provided a way for us to escape sin and death. Assurance number three is that suffering leads to repentance. In Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it says, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. I was having a conversation with a young lady recently and, and she said to me, you know, I find that when I go through uh, hardships, I find that I am much more focused on the Lord. And she said, when I go through good times, I find myself much more apt to drift spiritually spiritually. And the hard times that she was speaking of were, were specifically some physical trials that she's gone through. And I said, from what you have just told me and what we're talking about here, that, that, uh, that those physical difficulties, that's when you call on the Lord, okay? From what I know of God, I can pretty much guarantee you that unless you break that cycle in your life, you're going to continue to go through those things, not because God wants you to, but because God's ultimate goal is to draw you to himself. So if you want to break this cycle in your life, seek him all the time. Draw close to him all the time. That way he won't have to get your attention. He won't have to draw you. And when you do go through something that's difficult, you're already there. You don't have to, you don't have to get back to God. You're already where you should be. Being flat on our back, our last resort can 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 uh, as can result in us finally looking to God, and believe me, He is willing to allow that to happen, to use that in our lives, to bring us to a place of repentance. And assurance number four is that God uses everything. Romans eight twenty eight. We know that all things work. Uh, all things. God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Now, God doesn't create our troubles. God doesn't even lead us into our troubles. I had a high school girl lots of years ago. Uh, I mean, a lot of years ago. She comes into my office, and she was a senior, and she brought um, pictures into my office, and the pictures were of a birthday party. And I didn't recognize anybody in the pictures, they were not her family. And it, there was a one-year-old child in the, in the pictures. She said, that's my baby. She said, my sophomore year in, in soccer, I fell and I, I hurt myself in a match and I had to go to the doctor. And the doctor told me that I was going to have a baby. She said, I, 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 I hid. She said, I stayed in my room. I, I wore the tightest clothes, or that, you know, I, I hid it every way that I could. At first I was wearing snug clothes and then a bigger clothes, but I would not go out. I, I literally, I would make people pass stuff through the door in my bedroom. I wouldn't even let my siblings in my bedroom. And she was, she was sharing from the depths of her heart. And she said, I'm so glad that God took me through this. And I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't chastise her. She was having a, a moment of just letting God do something in her. But I want you to understand that God didn't take her through that. God worked through that. She took herself through that. God simply took, he was with her on the journey. He used it. And that's the way it is with our lives. Wherever we find ourselves, whatever we might have gotten ourselves into, God says, I'll use it to draw you to myself. Whatever the circumstances, and it may be something we've done, it may be just the result of the fall of man and there's sin and there's death and there's disease and there's sickness in the world, and that hits us. God's going to use it. Whatever that is whatever's happening to a family member, whatever's happening to us, that we say, God, I don't like it, I don't want it, take it away, and we want him to move, and he's not moving the way we want him to. I'll guarantee you he's working through it. I will guarantee you he is trying to accomplish his purpose through it. God will even use our suffering for his glory and our eventual good. 26 years ago, the year was 1992, there was a pastor who was a worship leader, and he suffered an injury to his vocal cords. His name is Bob. After the injury, he, he tried to just rest it for a while. It wasn't working. He went to the doctor, and the doctor said, we've got to go in, we got to do some work, and... They found out that he had some sort of an ulcer on his vocal cords. He's a pastor. He's a worship leader. After the surgery, he recovers a little bit. They try to start doing some therapy on his voice. He's limited to one hour of whispering a day. He said, God, what kind of a pastor can't talk? What kind of a worship leader can't sing? He thought for sure that God was going to heal him, and, and for a year he went through therapy. And at the end of that year, he said to his wife, Honey, we've gone through this for a year. We've done everything that they've told us to do, but I think that God has some other purpose here. And I'd like to... I'd like to just follow God on this. And so for the last 26 years, he has done nothing but whisper. And yet he has found the peace and the power of God in the midst of his trial. And God has used him in ways that could never have been done had he kept his voice his entire life. God has a purpose He said that for the first five years of not having a voice, he said his prayer was three words primarily. I love you. Then he would add, I don't understand you. But he would say, I love you. Five years. Can you imagine? In the midst of the deepest suffering of your life, I love you. I don't understand you, but I love you. In the midst of that, God was able to release his power in Bob's life. You might be here today and you might be saying, God, I do not understand why. You might not even, to be honest, maybe you can't even say I love you. To God because you're so you, you're the question why is so prevalent you're you're so upset you might even be angry with God you might be blaming God you might be thinking that God is withholding his best from you I want you to know that he's not I want you to know that whatever you're going through God's best is being applied to your circumstance and that he has a place that he wants to take you And the the way to get that started is to say, God, I love you. I don't understand, but I love you. So, are you standing on the truth of His Word? Are you accepting what you cannot prove? If we're not doing that, we're spinning our wheels. We're spinning our wheels. We are trying to solve something that cannot be solved with human knowledge and, and, and ingenuity. And God simply wants us to come to him and say, God, I love you. I don't understand, but I love you. And I believe that today there might be someone that you're in that, that sort of place. You might be in that place where, where you feel like, man, I'm, I'm just angry. I'm just upset. Yeah, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died on the cross, but I am ticked off. I want you to know something. God's got big shoulders. Do you know that Jesus asked God Why? Do you know that? When Jesus hung on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said it. He gave you permission to ask why. So today, your why is not any bigger, not any better than that one. God can take it. God can handle it. The cross allows for it, but the cross answers it for you and I. Would you stand with me all across this place and out in the hub? Would you bow your heads? Father, I pray, Lord, today for the one, for the ten, for the the many who are wondering why God. Maybe no one knows their circumstance. Maybe their circumstance is very well known. But whatever the case, they're asking why. Father, they've they've heard your word and parts of it, maybe they've bristled under it. Maybe they've, they've said, man, I can't do that. I can't do that. But I pray that your Holy Spirit right now will just, will just, come right into that circumstance and that situation. Come right into their heart and their mind and say, will you trust me? Will you trust my word? Will you stand on my word? Will you believe in things that you can't prove? Before we go this morning, I believe... The, the, the best thing that could happen in your life is for you to simply say, God, I don't understand. And for you to say, I need help. I, I want to I understand, but my finite mind can't do it, so I need to take that, that leap of faith and trust in your word and, and trust in things that I, I can't prove. I can't, I can't demonstrate them but I need to put my trust and accept those things. So this morning, as we just sing a closing song, if that's you today, I don't know what your circumstance is. I don't know who you are. I'm not thinking of you, but I know that the Holy Spirit is working right now. Say, God... I'm asking why. I don't understand. But bring me to that place where I can say, I love you. I don't understand, but I know this, that I love you. I believe your word. And I trust you.